Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Before we begin, we'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. Well, hello everyone. Welcome to Revolution. Happy Father's Day. Woo! Another, another holiday made by greeting card companies. <laughs> um, I didn't get up early and do anything, so. But it's great because today uh, I got here and they said, You got mail. Someone sent mail here to Bright Lake Bowl to me. And uh, it's, it's actually not the first time I received mail. Last time I had a church here, I received mail. And uh, it's, not, it's not a support letter, believe it or not. And it's hate mail. Yeah. But what's really funny is it's, and this is the only thing that makes me feel like I might still have a career left, is because it's addressed to Rob Bell, who still works, and Brian McLaren and Jim Wallace, Tony Jones, Jay Baker, and Carlton Pearson. And it's, I, I won't give the guy's name away, but it's, it's his name, then comma, prophet of God. Now, I'm pretty sure I used to get letters from him that would just be prophet of God. But I start posting them online and saying, I will no longer read these. I would just post a picture of the, of the envelope and then just say, like, I will not be reading these until you start to put a self, your self-addressed name on there. And so now he self-addressed it, so I got to read it. Um, and I just want to read one, one, one small part of this, this letter I received here at the bowling alley. Uh, your resignation will spare the Lord's bride and your family shame, but if you don't, God himself will stop you and you will die in your sins. So yeah, there's just a highlight of the letter. I got two of them. And... Uh, this time he put his phone number on there, so that was nice. So if anybody wants to call the prophet of God, I have his phone number. And he's asked for my resignation. <laughs> I know. I want, if you could just see a picture of the audience, he would be just relieved. You just think, you know, there's like a handful of us. Don't worry. Now, Rob Bell, you might want to worry a little bit about. I think his book's on a bestseller list. Which I'm reading Rob Bell's new book uh, about the Bible, and it's actually pretty good. So I can recommend it. Um, a lot of people have a different opinions on Rob Bell. I was actually I was at a place Saturday because I'm reading it with a friend of mine. We were reading it, and somebody came up and talked to us, and you could tell they're like, "Oh, you're reading Rob Bell? I see." <laughs> I'm like, really? People are still upset about Rob Bell and his, his, his I guess it was the book he wrote, Love Wins. Well, let's, let, let's plug Rob Bell's book real quick. What is the Bible? 
What is the Bible by Rob Bell? How an ancient library of poems, letters, and stories can transform the way you think and feel about everything. And I think it's a good book because most Christians don't read the Bible, liberal or conservative, I'll say. And this book's really interesting, and it's really, he does, all of his chapters are super short and super easy to read. So I saw them. I went and saw that he did a book signing here in town. I went and saw him speak about it. And the guy is just good. The guy is just makes me want to just go work at the coffee shop when I see that someone like him speak. You just go like, oh, where does he get it? But, uh, yeah, so I'm reading his book, and I'm also getting rebuked in letters. So I'm like in the same same grouping, thanks to the prophet of God. We both are supposed to quit. So I'll have to see if I can get a hold of Rob and forward him this letter. Um, I, I, ironically, uh, today I wanted to talk about, and I talk about love a lot, but I wanted to talk about love again. And that's just, it's just another love talk. Um, and I think we can use it, you know, with, with everything that happened with the court cases, I guess, this past week and injustice that continues to happen in this country to our, especially our African-American brothers and sisters and, uh, It's just sad. It's sad that if you're a person of color in this country, you have to be afraid of the people who are supposed to protect you. You know? And it's... It's injustice and it's a shame, you know? And as people say, you know... You know... Talk about having privilege, but it shouldn't be a privilege to be able to be safe or to be able to have a, you know, I don't know, carry a firearm and have a license or whatever. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be a, to live, to live should not be a privilege. So anyway, um, I'm sad that injustice continues to happen to folks. I'm also saddened by the way that my LGBTQ brothers and sisters are still treated. I was, you know, I was online, and I don't go on Twitter as much as I used to. I used to spend a lot of time on Twitter, and you know, and I've gotten kind of used to being affirming and an ally and a part of the group. So you know, you kind of think like, oh, this stuff's past, you know, and things are getting better. And then I started reading some tweets from conservative Christians uh, to. Uh, about this a track, you know, those little tracks that, like, sinner, repent, and turn. But this one was a good one, and it was like, you can be gay and a Christian. And so it was really cool. But the people who were, like, responding to it were just, you know, like, pulling out all the old verses, the Leviticus. They were arguing. And it was just, I was like, I can't believe we're still having this conversation. You know, I can't believe we're still doing this. And... uh it's sad. And then, and then on the other side, I saw somebody on, you know, who was like, you know, we should kick people out who aren't affirming out of the church. And for me, I think, well, you know what? I think we have to have a conversation. 
And people have to change. In order for people to change, we have to be able to... If someone's a victim of misinformation, the only way they're going to get the right information is by people who, who care, people who love. And loving someone is the only way to turn an enemy into a friend. And uh, I think we can't stoop to the same level as others. I don't want to stoop to the same level as my enemies. I don't want to stoop to the same level of people who, I've, who, I, who I see hurting other people. I don't want to hurt back. You know, there's got to be a better way. And the higher road is, is tough. And that's why I want to talk about love today, because that's what loving is, is taking the higher road sometimes. And it is freaking hard to do. It's hard to not want to do an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. You know, it's hard to not, what was it? Uh, it gets credited to Gandhi a lot, but I don't know if it was Gandhi that said, you know, an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. I know he said it, but I know other people have said it too. Um, and it's true, and and that's one of the things that the Bible has has been so impressive to me is seeing its effect on people like you know Martin Luther King Jr. and how he took nonviolence from Gandhi and then added it to the Bible and saw how he worked it and he was able to to take this book and use it as a, a vehicle for nonviolence when there seems to be in the Old Testament so much violence done in the name of God, uh, which I think is sad and a mistake, and we don't have time to talk about all that. But I'm going to be in Second Peter is where I'm going to start, uh, the second letter of Peter in one five eight, and uh, kind of starting in the middle here. But it says, For this very reason... You must make an effort to support your faith with goodness and goodness with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with endurance and endurance with godliness and godliness with mutual affection and mutual affection with love. For these things are yours and you're increasing amongst you. They keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For anyone who lacks these things is nearsighted and blind, which is a little bit odd that you're nearsighted and blind. Um, <laughs> Peter might need to <laughs> you know, work on his analogies a little bit. Um, but let's look at this. And why I, I wanted to look at this was because uh, I remember reading this when I was younger, and seeing and thinking how the church had always done this backwards, or not backwards, but always had been kind of like made love. This love was not always the main characteristic, or love was a kind of a counterfeit idea. You know, it wasn't something that reached out to people and embraced people. It was, it was, it was like, you know, so things like self control and and. G- Goodness and godliness seemed to be something that overlapped, you know, like was over love. Like these, you know, love's great, and it's one thing to think about, but you need to have, you know, self-control, and you need to have goodness, and you need to be godly, and you need to be this, you know, and uh, and love seemed to be the an afterthought. 
And I, what I've always liked about this verse is it seems to say these things, the reason you want self-control, the reason you want to have endurance, the reason you want to have godliness, you know, and even affection for other people is because it leads to love. That's the goal. The goal is love, not the other way around, not these other things that nitpick us or tear us apart and say, oh, you're not good enough, or you got to do this, or you need to do more of this, you know. No, it's saying the goal here, the goal of any of these things that we deal with, with, you know, why do we turn the other cheek? Why do we walk the extra mile? Why do we have, you know, why do we not seek vengeance? You know, why do we seek self-control? Why? Because it leads to love. It leads us to love the other. It leads us to love the enemy. And right now, it is such a weird world we live in. I mean, our president is a reality television star. I mean, he fired one of the guys from Poison. You know what I mean? It's like (laughs) he fired B-list actors and the head of the FBI. Kind of weird. Um, We live in a weird world. Um, So love is... It's still a vital thing. And how do we love even someone like that? And love isn't necessarily saying, oh, I'm going to condone everything you do. But love is saying, I love you enough to tell you the truth. I love you enough to hopefully see change. Um, And Jesus talks so much about love that I just wanted to talk a little bit about love from other places. In 1 John... First uh, John 4, there's a big thing about love, and it's really good. And usually the big love verse is Corinthians 13, which we'll talk a little bit about. But but First uh, John 4, 7, you need to buckle in because this one's going to be long. <laughs> it says, Beloved, let us love one another. Now, that's something that we hear from Christ a lot. Because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed amongst us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Now listen to this. I mean, you have just did listen to it, but I'm going to say it again. You know, everyone who loves is born of God. God knows God. And knows God. So now things have changed. The new covenant, things have changed, and God is seen in a very different light. And it's God has seen as love. If you know God, you know love. And so I think about all the people out there in the world who love so well. And they don't claim Christianity, you know, they don't claim to necessarily have our faith, but they know God in so many ways better than most people who do claim Christianity, you know? Um, I mean, you see celebrities who do so many amazing things for hurting people and start these these just foundations and different things to really reach out to people. And they, you, you see the Spirit of God there. You know, and that's something that I think we miss out on is is is, is 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 it becomes this us and them thing, and it just that doesn't work. And I thought that the us and th- us versus them thing was over, but it seems to just become more and more divisive of who's uh, who's good and who's bad. You know, now it's like my my 
brothers and sisters on the liberal side seem to have a lot of judgments of, well, we're the real Christians and we're this and we're that. And I'm like, no, let's not do that again. Let's not fall into that same mistake. It really is a, it's just a shitty way to live, constantly feeling having to find an enemy, you know, constantly having to find someone to, to make you feel like you're the right person. I'm like, that's what they did to you. Don't return the favor. That's why love is so vital and so important, and that's why self-control is part of love, you know? And, uh, man, it's tough. It's really, really... I'm looking for an F word. Freaking (laughs) tough. It goes on to say, in this love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be an atonement sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. Now, we just looked at First Peter talking about self-control and goodness and uh, what was the other one? Knowledge and, and endurance, you know, leading to love. You know, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. So love is the ultimate fruit of the Spirit. It's ultimately something that we see in people. So for me, in my heresy, because the prophet of God, whose mind is so closed, because he can only see in a... In a certain paradigm in a box of saying, okay, this is who God is, this is who Christianity is. But if love is the sign of God, then we need to start looking for God in every, all the places, all the nooks and crannies and everywhere. It's not just in the church. Matter of fact, sometimes that's where we see a lack of love or a, a love that is, has been perverted or, or just, just uh, yeah, I mean, perverted and becomes something else. It's become about being good or being certain or, or it's become moralistic, if you will. You know, legalistic is, is probably the proper word. And uh, we've returned to a different type of law and forgot that love is the trump card. And the reason I p- preach something like this my whole life is because when I was a kid, my mother and father always kind of showed me that love was the trump card. Now, my dad preaches weird and wild stuff now and does his thing. And uh, I only mention that because there's a lot of viral videos. <laughs> so I have to mention it. <laughs> yes, he, he's there. See, buckets is, if you know, all I have to say is buckets, and you, you might know. Um, but as a kid, they always taught me that love was the ultimate thing, that love was a trump card. Can't even say trump anymore. Um, <laughs> but... It was, you know, was that. And so for me, you know, my mom was always just like, Jesus loves you. God loves you. My dad would always end his show with, God loves you. He really does, you know, and it was this big thing, you know. But I knew it wasn't something that it was a, wasn't a, that wasn't a put on, you know. People said, why did your mom cry so much, you know, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But because she genuinely felt deeply for people and she couldn't control it sometimes. So that's what you had. you had. And she was a broken human being as well, you know. 
with the weight of the world on her shoulders, but she loved people. And uh, that was the one thing, even when me and my mom could disagree on certain things theologically, we always agreed that love was, love won. Love was the ultimate. And uh, I'd rather love too much than too little. Um, I used to say I'd rather err on the side of love than law. And I remember people used to get so worked up about that. And maybe they still do. Obviously, I'm still getting letters that say, you know, you shouldn't do that, which makes me feel good and like success that I'm getting a hate mail. Thank you. It really built me up. The fruit of your (laughs) rebuke letter has made me feel pride. Um, But, you know, I still would say that. Always err on the side of love. Because I don't think you can err when it comes to love. Um, And love is so many different things. And too bad our English language only uses this one word for it because we could really, there's so many different types of love. It goes on to say, By this we know that we abide in him and him in us because he has given us a gift in the spirit. We have seen, um, forgive me for all the pronouns, but they're just written down in here, so I'm using the pronouns. Uh, This was a male-driven society, so... Um, I don't think God has uh, genitals in my personal belief system. And we have seen and done and testify that the Father has sent his Son and his Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God and abides in God, so we have to know and believe the love that God has sent for us. God is love. And those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. I remember one time saying God is love online and on Twitter. Or, yeah, it must have been Twitter. And people was like, God is more than that. God is wrath. God is judgment. God is justice. God, is, you know, and they want to go through all these different things that God is. And that doesn't say, and then this person said, it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that God is love. And I remembered this verse, but I had to go look at it because I was like, it does say that, doesn't it? You know, like, oh, you know, like if I remembered it right or not. And uh, it does right here in John. It's not even Paul getting all gracie on us, you know. And it's not Jesus saying it. It's John. We're in the, and it's not the book of John. It's First John. So, you know, look at that. Um there's a little bit of tennis here that goes, you know, well, if you know God, then you know that Jesus is the Son of God. But then it continues to go on to say, but God is love and those who abide. And I love that that way that even Paul talks is all of a sudden you think like, oh, okay, well, then I have to be this. But then it comes back to God is love and God abides in those who love. And God, you know, so one more time, God is love and those who abide in love abide in God and God abides in them. Love has been perfected amongst us in this day that we might have boldness on the day of judgment because as he is, so far we in this world. I'm sorry that it reads so differently, but it's just a more accurate translation. So to translate Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek and different things like that, they have to get a little Yoda on us. But listen to this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. Now, my whole life, I grew up in fear. I remember coming home 
you know, growing up evangelical and thinking that Jesus had come back if I couldn't find my parents or something and that I had been left behind. You know, and I'm talking like eight, nine, ten-year-old kid. You know, and God forbid they left some clothes on the ground. You know, oh, you know I've been left behind. You know, then I was like, I'm going to have to get the mark or are they going to tear out my fingernails, you know? Like I thought I would have to be tortured and all this stuff because all the Christian propaganda that you would see that was not biblical at all. It's, it's really weird, and you know. So I was like, "Oh, will I be able to take the torture, or will I get six 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 put on my forehead so I can buy Coca Cola?" You know, I don't know. It's really weird. I, I'm so glad that 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 time is is dying out. But there's still there's still people who kind of think that way. Um, but you know, so people say, well, doesn't the Bible say fear God? But that fear, properly translated, is awe and wonder, you know, and respect. It's not, oh, I'm scared, I'm trembling, you know. And um, there is a, you know, there are some people who, who feel that way. There are particular verses that say that, but mostly then those verses are saying about the fear of God. It's talking about awe, wonder, respect, reverence. That's the word I was looking for is reverence. And here, John makes it clear that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. So it's not talking about the same type of awe and wonder and reverence, because perfect love, I don't think, would cast out reverence. But fear has to do with the fear of punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. So we do not need to fear God. God is a mystery to me. And I spent most of my life fearing God, thinking that God was a record keeper and uh, a taskmaster. And I'll tell you what, when I started reading things like this, it was like chains coming off my arms. And uh, a lot of the people who I know who reject Christianity reject a God that is a punishing God, a fearful God, a scary God, not a love that casts, not a God that casts out all fear, not a God that is love. So a lot of people, when they come to me and say, well, I used to, be- I had somebody come up to me and say, I used to believe what you believe, but I don't believe that anymore, and now I'm happier than I've ever been. And I was like, wait a second. I'm like, maybe when you believed what you think I believed, you know, you probably, and I found out where they went to church and all this stuff, and I said, no, I'm like, you would, your pastor thought I was a heretic. I I mean, I know him, you know. (laughs) He was sending me to hell, you know, so uh, I don't, hell that I don't believe in. Um, I don't live in that fear anymore. I haven't lived in that fear for a long time. And sometimes I get so comfortable in it that I forget that other people haven't been set free from that. And of course you would say, I don't believe in that, and I feel better than ever. I would re- I've rejected that God too. I've just stayed in, a f- in the faith because I've had a different experience. But I don't judge that person because they've said I've rejected God because of that. I've rejected the God the same way. They've just took another path. You know? And uh, who am I to, to, to judge that? Because I've walked away too. I just read a lot of theology books. I didn't have a a fiery moment where, you know, a bush caught on fire and was like, Jay, let me tell you about love and grace. You know, God doesn't, I, does, does not work that way in my life and I don't expect that God works that way in a lot of people's lives and I don't expect them to go, well, I'm going to go do a word study or I'm going to go 
see how why the Bible was originally written. That's why I think this Rob Bell book's important, is because people can get a better idea of, you know, it's an ancient library of poems, letters, and stories. You know, it's it's a library. It's a collection of writings. It's like taking a bunch of letters and putting them together. You can't take them all in to be the, the 100, you know, they were, it wasn't a book handed down by God is the point. It's not this infallible, perfect book that people want to make it out to be. And uh, and so if people understood that more and understood the concept more, maybe they would still not throw out the baby with the bathwater. But I can't blame them for doing that. I just can't. Because if I believed that the Bible told me I had to hate my LGBT, LGBTQ brothers and sisters, then it would be done. I'd be done with it. I'd say, well, you know, you know, and if I believe, you know, I'll see you in hell then. You know, if that's the, if this is the angry, horrible God, you know, it would be quite a dilemma. So I understand. Like I said again, I, I don't believe in hell, and that'll be another sermon for another time. But that is also comes from a for me originally a word study that I took and uh, was very interested because I thought Jesus seems to talk a lot about hell, and then I realized that Jesus is using different words and different meanings and different stories. And you go, oh wow, we just have really lazy translators for almost every version of the Bible. It's like the word love, you know. We have this, but it, different different words of love mean different things. The word hell has Sometimes it's Gehenna, sometimes it's uh, Place of the Worm, you know, literally like southwest of Jerusalem, a literal place. You know, it's crazy. But people, you don't hear a lot about that. So, anyway, that's neither here. I mean, that is here nor there, but it is not what we're talking about today. We're talking about love. And uh, I can, perfect love casts out all fear. So that's a good thing. We shouldn't live life in fear. Now, this goes on to get a little bit bolder. It says, we love because we first loved us. Those who say, I love God and hate their brother and sister are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love a God whom they have not seen. Now, I'd say this is a pretty uh, this is a very black and white statement. And I want, so that's why we have, we got to unpack it a little bit. But it goes on to say the commandments that we have from God is this: those who love God must love their brother and sister also. And Jesus said, "Love God with all your heart, all your understanding. Equally as important, love your neighbor as yourself." And uh, I'm trying to remember who said, "I love who? What do I love when I love my God?" But who was that? And I can't think of it off the top of my head right now. But what do I love when I love my God? Well, I believe that it's the other. It's people. That's what I love. And um, that's a hard thing. But if I can't love people I can see, how can I love a God I can't see? I, th- I think that's an interesting argument. I don't think it's a literal argument of, you know, because you're obviously going to have people that you don't love or you have a hard time caring about or that drive you crazy and do things like that. Um, but I think it's in a way, if you can take it as, as just an analogy, you know, or, or a, you know, just 
just take it for what it's worth, but allow it to grow inside you. To go, okay, well, next time you think about someone, you really get on your nerves. Like, oh, okay. How do I love God if I don't, if I can't love this person I see and then I can't love I can't see? It's just interesting because it's another way to drive us towards love. It goes on in five because, you know, the Bible didn't originally have chapters and verses. <laughs> so it was, you know, just a collection of writings. So it goes on in five. One, it says, um, for everyone who believes in Jesus and in Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves their parent loves the child. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey God's commandments. Now listen to that part there. Everyone who loves the parent loves the child. So once again, it's if we love each other, if we love the other, if we love the children, if we believe that we're all children of God, then we love each other even when we've been victimized with misinformation. And it was very important that we realize this victimizing of misinformation and we don't see people as the enemy, but information as the enemy, as misinformation as the enemy. MLK saw this and it changed his perspective and it changed the world and it eventually got him killed because he refused to let anything pull him down enough to bring hate for him to hate another man. You know, I'm... uh, I'm much now. I've lived a lot longer than Martin Luther King, which is really bizarre. You know, he, he was—he died very young, and he wasn't a perfect person. He didn't have it all together, but you know what? He knew what love was. And there's another verse that says, "Love covers a multitude of sins." You know, because we all fall short. We all have things that we do. We're all going to waver and not be perfect at love um, because remember though too because Jesus said my, you know take upon my yoke my yoke is easy which my burden or your my you know give me your burden my burden is light you know so this isn't something that should be something that tears us down or pushes us over the edge or something like that but something that is light but all of a sudden continues to grow on us but what does this look like I honestly don't see or experience this very often because you know what? Life gets in the way of love. I have a new baby girl at home and she's amazing and life right now for me is that little squishy baby, you know? And so I'm not out going and going, oh, I'm going to go do all this, you know? I mean, as I've noticed, if I had children, my aspirations for speaking and going out and doing all this stuff has, has shrunk a little bit because I'm focused on living life in this and loving these two children. Um, so life does get in the way. So honestly, I don't always see or experience this very often, and, and nor do I always live it because life does happen. But it's why do we meet and why do we have sermons and why do we have, you know, talk about this stuff? It's a reminder I'm not just reminding you, I'm reminding myself. I've probably preached a sermon like this, if not this very sermon before, I don't remember. I've preached hundreds of sermons. But it is a reminder of the importance and the value of love. 
And that if I want to experience the ground of being, which that's another word for my understanding of God, I want to experience love. As a parent, you do experience a whole nother type of love, which is really amazing. And I feel like it, it's, it's connected me deeper and a deeper understanding of maybe what God sees when he sees us. And I say it, that's good news. You know, today I saw a dad who just was just berating his son. Just, and his son was probably three years old. And it took everything in my power not to be like the, like, not everything in my power, but I just, I, I was kind of giving the guy a look. Like, I'm like, do you really just want to belittle your son like this in public in front of all these people, <laughs> you know, and over these dumb things, he's, you know, he's being, he was just being a kid, and it was just, oh, it, it really was tough to see. Um, and not that I'm a perfect father, but it was just one of those things where it was really tough. And I think, but that was his opinion of what fatherly love was, you know. And so sometimes we have to we have to have um, what's the word I'm looking for? Anybody know the word I'm looking for? Well, patience and understanding is is part of it. Discernment. Yeah, discernment. We have to have discernment sometimes, you know. And uh, I, I, my thing was is I felt like I wasn't seeing the type of love that I feel as a father I'm supposed to give as a child, to give to a child, and this child wasn't receiving that type of love. Who knows? The guy might have had a bad day, you know. A lot of people were coming back from a marathon, so maybe he pulled his muscle, leg muscle or something. I don't know. <laughs> was at the coffee shop too, you know, so or at Starbucks, you know, lots of family drama. But let's get into love for one more minute and then we'll, we'll call it a day and enjoy the beautiful weather that we're having here in beautiful Minneapolis, Minnesota. And this is the, the verse that we often hear of, of love is 1 Corinthians 13. Um, and this is the love that, this is kind of the verse that's always driven me for love, but I'm going to read a little bit ahead before it, because um, really four through seven is what, is, is what gets me. We hear this at weddings a lot, you know. This is the verse that gets read. As a matter of fact, in my first marriage, this verse was read. Um, but what I've realized is that this, this is not just for weddings anymore. <laughs> Matter of fact, I don't even think that it should be for weddings, to be honest with you. Not that, like, if it, you're thread at your wedding or you decide to have a, you know, I don't think a lightning bolt's going to come down. But I think it's greater, uh, it, it, there's more to it than that. But it, it's, it's a good goal to have, I guess. But the Bible, it starts off at 13.1. It says, If I speak in tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic power and understand the mysteries of all knowledge, and if I have all faith so to remove a mountain, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may be boast, but do not love, I gain nothing. 
And this is the Apostle Paul speaking. And Apostle Paul was killed and beat and was eventually martyred. But um, so understood this, but Paul also did a lot of horrible things in the name of God as well before he was Paul, when he was Saul. So he understood forgiveness. But all these things that people hold, you know, could you imagine if someone literally did have the faith to move a mountain? Like, you know, it's like, I'm a mountain mover, you know? You hear something like, oh, we've got to call that guy Jay because he has that faith that moves mountains and we really want to build this mall here, but there's a mountain. But he can move the mountain so we don't have to destroy the mountain, you know, and the mountain will just be moved. I'm here to move the mountain. <laughs> like Jedi style. You know, we really thank you, Jay. Here's your paycheck. You know, you know that guy, he moves mountains, but he's a real asshole. Um, <laughs> he hates everybody. <laughs> you know, so he's, and so the Paul is saying is if that's the point, you know, it doesn't matter what you can do if you can do the impossible. If you don't love, you're missing the point. The point is love. And so what is love? And four through seven and even eight uh, kind of sum this up. What is love? Four, it starts in four. Love is patient. Okay, so patience is part of love. Love is kind. Love is not rude. It's not envious or boastful. It doesn't brag. Or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Now think about that. Just that one. Love does not insist on its own way. I mean, being a part of the church, it seems like I've been a part of a group of people who've been insisting their own way for thousands and thousands of years. And talk about missing a point. But we're like, no, I love them, so that's why I'm telling them that they have to repent from their sin and they have to change and they have to become something else. You know, I love, I love the sinner and I hate the sin. You know, if you live that kind of statement, eventually you get blur the lines and you hate people and people feel hated. And your opinion of sin might not be their opinion of sin. And your opinion of sin, believe it or not, might just be wrong. But either way, it doesn't insist, love does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices when the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Listen to that. Here we go again. Endures all things. And eight says, love never ends. So love is infinite. When we love we're finite beings, but we pass something on that's infinite. And people can grow in that love, you know. So this is, okay, so first of all, if you're married or in a relationship, you know what I just read is not, maybe on your best day, <laughs> maybe one day in your marriage, this is right, this happens. So I've always thought like, oh, that's probably not the best thing for marriage because marriage, you gotta, you know, it's tough. Marriage is tough. You know, it's awesome. It's great. But there's tough times. 
And I honestly am rude, you know, and insist on my own way often. And yes, resentful, there's resentments happen. And we have to sit down and have conversations about those resentments. But that's the beauty of that type of love, romantic or erotic <laughs> love, is, you know, if you decide to, to go through it, you're going to have to deal with... So it's not saying that these things won't come up. It's just saying that these... I mean, life tells me that. Life tells me these things do come up in love. But it says deal with it in a healthy way. Because when it starts to become resentful, it's not love anymore. When it starts to, to enjoy when the suffering of others, it might not be love anymore. So when love endures all things. So that's another thing of like, why does the Bible talk about dying to the flesh? What is, you know... Why does James say faith without works is dead? You know, because, oh, man, you're harsh and my mellow. What do you mean faith without works is dead? I just want to be saved. I don't want to, don't be putting things on me. But, you know, if you want to put something on somebody that says, okay, well, just love people. It's the hardest thing you'll do. You know, enduring through people, Try to endure a relationship with, you know, it's like I had a friend who was a drug addict, and man, it was tough, you know, to endure through circumstances with this friend because they want, I was in a 12-step program, and I've been sober for 21 years, and I'm sitting here going like, oh, you know, this this thing that you can go to, and it can help you out, and it's really great, and no, I don't need that, you know but you come over at my house at three in the morning and you've overdosed and I have to keep you up and keep you from falling asleep because I don't want you to die because you will not go to the hospital and you will not go, you know, not only will they not go to, I don't have a problem, (laughs) you know? And then when the police come into your house because you have this person staying with you and they're going to pretty much raid your house, you go, this is really tough to love this person at this point. It's tough to endure through this, you know, but love endures. Now, are we best friends? No. Do we still talk to this day? Every now and then, we'll do a little social media catch up. I don't live in the same town anymore, but, but a lot of that relationship was living and enduring through those things. And uh, that's, that's what love, that's what I, that was my time as being where I felt most like a pastor. That's what I'm trying to say. And that was probably 20 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. That's how I understood this verse the most. You know? And uh, that's how I, you know, what is, what is good works? Well, it's the same thing that Jesus was asked when he said, what are the most important commandments? Love God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. What is good works? Love. Loving the other. Love is it. Love is where it's at. Love never ends. It talks about how everything for prophecy and uh, special knowledge and all this stuff will completely eventually fall to the side. But it says, I'm jumping down to 11. 
When I was a child, I spoke like a child, and I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put away childish ways. For now I see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see it face to face. Now I know only part, then I will know fully, even as I have seen fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide. These three things, these three out of these, see, the greatest is love. So out of the th- what he's saying is, is I, see in a, I, st- I don't see completely. I don't understand these things. But what I do know is that things that will exist, that will stand, that, are, that, that are infinite, are hope and love and faith. And it goes on to say, the, the greatest of these is love. So the... This religious book, this book that's a collection of poems, letters, and stories um, that people often put on a pedestal, the very high pedestal. And I mean, it's the most important book to me. It's My whole life is built around it. But I still don't try not to put it on a pedestal. But in this book, it says to me that the thing that will remain that's most important, that's above my very hope or above my very faith, is love. So love does not need to be the second thought or the love isn't the thing that takes the back seat in your faith because, as I said, we see love so many places in this world beyond the church. And Paul said it, greater than your own faith is love. So to me, it's a challenge. It's tough. But man, it could just be seeing somebody having a shit day and taking a minute to be there. You know, or saying hello to somebody that you haven't said in a while, picking up a phone that feels like the phone feels like it's 10,000 pounds for me sometimes. There's been people I've been like, you know, I really need to call and touch bases with that person. And I'm just like, oh, I can't pick up my phone, you know. But it's just, it would be just a minute to take an expression of love, you know, because I know I like it when people check in with me. I suffer from depression. So, man, it's, you know, be careful if you ask me how I'm doing because sometimes I'll actually tell you. Oh, thank God you asked. <laughs> Sit down. Um, you know, and other times I'll be like, oh, I'm fine. Everything's okay. <laughs> I'm tired. That's, that's usually my, my go-to. I'm tired. I'm always tired. Before I had children, I was tired. But taking moments of love and then allowing that to be a seed that grows. And uh, it just seems like we're living in a world where love doesn't have the, have the priority that it should. You know, don't you wish you had like a love filter on your Facebook or Twitter? You know, or even on your typewriter? <laughs> I'm guessing this was printed out from a computer, but... <laughs> You know, it would be nice, a love filter. Not even if it was, and I'm not saying it for other people, just if we had it for ourselves. We would go, you know, we'd just be this little filter that goes, nope, (laughs) does not compute, you know. It's like spell correct. It just all of a sudden turns into like, have a nice day. And you're going, what? I don't want to tell this person to have a nice day. I want to tell this person why they're wrong and why I'm right and why this is good and they're bad, you know. And, uh, 
because I know that genuinely, I, I, you know, I, I know I'm telling them they're a horrible person because I love them. And I'm telling them in 146 characters that way because I love them. Yet these just Facebook and these things aren't the best way to tell people. For some reason, we think like this is the best way to communicate with someone and tell them well, that they're wrong. Now, it might be the only way, but with, if we had a little bit more of love, we might think, hmm, maybe I just need to sit back and relax a while. Trust me, I was a freaking social media crusader for a long time. But I just realized it was taking away my peace. And it was taking away the love that I had for people. And I was building a lot of resentments. I was getting a lot of sermons out of it. You'd be surprised how much resentment and anger will build. And, uh, it's, like the, it's like the force. <laughs> the dark side is very powerful. <laughs> it builds some really awesome sermons. Even sermons that are about love and grace, but more about how you've, you know, how look at these people. Anyway, I'm not perfect at it, but I hope we can learn to embrace love a little bit more. And I hope that you folks in this room and you folks listening online, you know, we learn to have a, we get a, a love filter more in our own lives. And we don't also take for granted, man, I've talked a long time today, I'm sorry, but we don't take for granted. Also that we love ourselves and that we learn to love ourselves as well because sometimes we can become our greatest enemy. And I know that. I go in shame spirals. I go in areas where I am not patient with myself. I'm not, I'm, I'm not gentle with myself. You know, I demand my own way with myself and I don't I crush myself with impossible standards. You know, so sometimes I'm my worst enemy. So there's also learning to realize that we need to love ourselves as well. And if you want to think that's egocentric or whatever, go ahead. You're wrong. Um, <laughs> and I love you, and that's why I'm telling you that. Um, but we've got to learn to be, remember that that's part of the issue, too, is loving ourselves. You know, Because out of our own insecurities, sometimes we see things in ourself, in other people, and that's when we decide to lash out. Because we don't even know how to love ourselves. And I'm just learning to do that. And man, I'm paying a lot of money in therapy to do that. And I read a lot of books. And I swear, it's just like, that's why that green stuff was invented, so I could try to learn how to like, love myself. So that's important. So if you want to take that verse, don't take it just for weddings, for Corinthians 13. Take that 4 through 7 and think, how do I apply that to how I feel about me? So there you go. Well, it's a beautiful day outside, so let's not spend it in here freezing anymore, which I actually like to freeze. But Yeah, that's it. So thanks for coming. I guess I'll quickly end with a real quick prayer, and then we'll be done. Lord, I thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. Help us to understand it more. Help us to love ourselves. Help us to accept that we are accepted by that which is greater than us. Show us a way to love divinely and to love those enemies. To love those who are hard to love and to give them grace and mercy as we try to give ourselves the same. Amen. Thanks a lot, everybody.